I wanted to introduce uh, Dr. Wiyu Wahono. He's a very honored guest, very much so. He's Indonesia's most experimental and most intellectual collector. Um, there are collectors who buy for all sorts of reasons, to hang in their houses, uh, work, to, uh, as an investment, always the worst attitude when collecting. Um, because really you need to have a passionate collect, uh, connection with the art that you own. Um, they're collectors who collect in order to document uh, a country's cultural um, output. Uh, they're collectors who collect in a very intellectual way in the sense that they don't necessarily even love the work they're collecting, but they want it as a document of a particular period in time and a particular place. Dr. Uli Sig uh, claims that that is how he collects and collect, has collected Chinese art since the 70s. Uh, we'll hear about Dr. Wiyu's collection. I know little about it, so I'm in the same position as you, except to say that he is very uh, famous in terms of his approach to collecting, and we'll hear, we'll hear the details. He's an engineer by training, clearly a PhD. Architecture is a hobby. Um, his collection, unlike ours, I can't work the machines, so we tend to avoid video and new media art. Whenever we buy something, the machines collapse and we have a terrible time getting them to work. So he is adventurous and obviously as an engineer probably has made the machines, let alone uh, knows how to work them. We'll, we'll fit you in in a minute, Frida. And uh, he supported artists like many people in, um, in non-first world countries. There aren't often the kind of museum uh, structures that we have here, the museums and the uh, big commercial galleries. Uh, and really the collectors become the people supporting the artists. There's no one else. And so they acquire the work. Well, that's the most important thing for an artist is someone actually acquires your work. Often they fund new work uh, in the way that we do, and they often subsidize uh, exhibitions and uh, even travel for artists. They do the job of what in our society and, you know, in America and places in Western Europe would be done by the museum fraternity um, or even, the, say, the Australia Council or the equivalents in other places. Uh, they get together very often. Uh, there's uh, quite a lot of cross-pollination between and among collectors. Dr. Wiyu went uh, to see Dick Kwan's uh, collection last night and is interested in other collections in, in Australia, going off to Tasmania on Monday, David Walsh's uh, Mona, for those of you who don't know. And having been to Indonesia recently, I can say that the art scene there is a little bit like how I imagine. I didn't see it in New York in the 70s and 80s, but I did see it in China in the 90s without being able to understand the language, which, you know, shuts you out of a lot. But it, it's just sort of bubbling, bubbling art scene, and I think Indonesia um, is, is in that space at the moment. Just to tell you what we have done, Brian and I, and at Sherman Galleries and now SCAF, this is my 30th year this year in the gallery, and um, uh, we, we showed earlier, uh, early on, very early on, Dadang Cristanto, and we bought a huge, beautiful work by Dadang, 
uh, Indonesian, obviously, but living in Brisbane now, which we donated to the National Gallery in Canberra called Red Rain. I, don't, I forget the name in Indonesian, but it's a most beautiful work. Harry Dono showed with us in the Commercial Gallery, and we donated 36 angels also to the National Gallery in Canberra. That's Brian and I. John Pett, obviously, at SCAF. And then there, all of these people are in our collection, uh, except for John Pett, actually, which will be rectified, but Echo Negruho, uh, Agusawage, um, all, you know, we've got quite a lot of contemporary Indonesian artists in our collection. They've become friends, the older generation uh, we've known since they were the younger generation and now the younger generation has, uh, is sort of emerging and moving up. So one becomes connected to a society uh, through this act of collecting. <clears throat> Collecting, collection building is an addiction. It's a very expensive addiction, but then so are other addictions. Um, it's a cultural endeavor. Uh, it's a support system for artists. It's an intellectual pursuit. And I, it, I'll hand over to Dr. Wahono now. He is really one of the foremost, if not you know, amongst the top five collectors in, in our region. And he's flown all the way to give this talk today. So here he is. <laughs> Thank you. Is it on? Hello? Is it on? Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jean, for the nice introduction. And good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, first of all, I would like to uh, thank the Asian ambassador in Australia, Mrs. Jean Sherman, <laughs> for inviting me to come. <laughs> this is my first visit in Paddington, and I enjoy it very much. And <clears throat> yeah, and I would also like to thank uh, the team, uh, everybody in the Sherman Contemporary Art Foundation. Uh, I had a very good time yesterday, a warm welcome from everybody, and uh, I've got a support that allowed me to be here with you today, and thank you very much, uh, everybody, for coming to the, to the talk today, <clears throat> and to share the joy of contemporary art world. Yeah, I would uh, start with uh, some of my uh, artworks in my collection. Uh, can you please dim the light? <clears throat> uh, yeah, uh, collecting art for me is actually asking questions. And I know already that I will never get an answer for the questions that I have. So the question relate to, this is the guideline in my collecting art, is the so-called zeitgeist, the spirit of an era. So in 100 years, people will look back and ask, and, and say, what was the spirit of the time of the end of 20th century and the beginning of 21st century? So we cannot say, we cannot say the zeitgeist is. It is not possible. That's why we have to wait until 100 years pass. And then we look back and say, the zeitgeist was. So, and the good collection has to reflect this zeitgeist. This is the reason why I can only guess whether my collection is a good one or it is crap. <laughs> so, so if you ask me, what do you think? So how the people will see 
our time, I think that we'll talk about globalization. As we all know, the globalization start, started as I was still in Berlin at that time, 1989. Uh, the Berlin Wall fell down, and there was a uh, velvet revolution in uh, Czechoslovakia, and a solidarity movement in Poland, and all the same year, in 1989, uh, Hungary opened the border to Austria, the same year, and Mikhail Gorbachev from Unisoviet at that time introduced Glasnost and Perestroika, also transparency and restructuring. And two years later, 1991, uh, he resigned, and Unisoviet fragmented into small country, Russia and Czechia, Ukraine, Latvia, Lithuania, and all the Balkan republics. <clears throat> and 1989, it took place as well all in the same year, about 1999 and 91, And because the Soviet Union fragmented into small countries, the Cold War ended. There is no East Bloc and no East Bloc, uh, East, uh, West Bloc anymore. Uh, 1989, uh, Nelson Mandela was released from prison. And 1989, the student massacre in Tiananmen uh, sorry, you are friends of Chinese, so I have to say 89 democratic movement instead of... <laughs> okay, so uh, that happens in China, which uh, uh, bring China to be one of the yeah, most powerful uh, economic in the world because of 1989. So we realized that 1989 was a very important year. It started uh, that the global politics changed completely. <clears throat> and because of that, a lot of people travel around the globe. That is the reason why we are sitting now. Indonesian, there are somebody from Malaysia and Japan and China, and I think there will be here about 20 nationalities in, the room, in this room, which was not the case before 89. So everything started in 1989. That's why I think uh, I have to collect this work, this is an art, uh, Indonesian artist, Tintin Bulia. <clears throat> she studied uh, architecture in Indonesian university, got her bachelor degree, and went to Co uh, Cornell University, I think, studied film and music. And then she did her PhD in Melbourne University. And she created this so-called uh, relational aesthetics uh, using flowers and spices from Indonesia, and she built the map, a world map on the floor, and invited all the expatriates living in Jakarta to take part in, his art, in her artwork, uh, an American guy will take a bunch of flowers from America and move, let's say, to Africa and put the bunch of flowers in African continent, and then he takes his bunch of flowers again, but the flower is mixed in the color with the color of uh, Africa. And then he moved to Indonesia. And after a while, after 20, 30 expatriates take this road where they have lived, uh, yeah, the whole world doesn't have pure culture anymore. This is the world we live in, right? We meet a lot of people fr from different countries. Uh, we have difficulties in answering the question, what countryman are you? And this is, uh, I think, will be seen as zeitgeist. <clears throat> and this is another artwork of Tintin Bulia, a metaphor of 
going through the borders in traveling different countries in the world, and you get a stamp from the immigration officer, and the passport keep keep on changing, and uh, it's a, a two-channel television uh, artwork. So the the mosquitoes traveled across the border without passport, right? <laughs> But all the person with a passport. <clears throat> so this is the second one, also relate to the globalization that I collect. Uh, this is my office. Uh, sorry, I have to. Pointer is this is uh, this is my jump pad that you see. This is the first piece jump pad made from the Ghost series. I was the first collector of jump pad about 10 years ago, so I saw his artwork with very loud, a lot of kinetic, a lot of sound, and the video. In the body, and at that time the context was about syncretism, the hybridity of culture. As we know, Indonesia was occupied by the Dutch over 300 years, and this soldier has fight against the military uh, invasion of the Dutch mili military uh, or soldiers, and they have died in Jogja, and that's why he put all the uniform from the. Uh, Sultan Palace soldiers and the drum and everything. And after the Dutch invade into Java, there is a hybridity of Dutch and Japanese culture, which is now our part of our identity. <coughs> That was uh, actually his uh, former context in doing artworks. Um, I bought this artwork. Actually, he almost cried. He wrote, he wrote a long email to me. Because he said, "I've been doing art over 10 years. Nobody paid attention to me." And then I came to him and I said, "I would like to collect your artwork." He said, "I couldn't believe it. I, I almost cried." So I, I, I bought this artwork also because this kind of artwork is called by Dirk Higgins, one of the Fluxus artists in America, the so-called intermedia art, where you have difficulties in answering. Uh, is it a video art? Yes, there is a video. Is it uh, sound art? Yes, it makes sound, but it is not pure sound art, right? It is. Uh, is it kinetic? Yes, a lot of parts moving, but it's not kinetic artwork. So, so it's also not a sculpture. Uh, it's so this kind of artwork is so-called intermediate art. At that time, it was very seldom in Indonesia because we will talk about it later. All the collectors collect paintings. It seems like the information about the so-called medium specificity doesn't exist in the market. That the 20th century art has to be medium specific means you only have the choice doing painting or artwork. That was 20th century art. That's why if you look into the 20th century art history books, you only find painting and sculpture because people put boundaries around it and say only this or only that. Yeah, no choice. So in postmodernism era, we have a freedom. I mean, the artists have the freedom to choose any medium they can do. And as a collector, I want to celebrate, you know, the freedom 
of having artworks made of different media, not put into a straight jacket and buy only painting and sculpture, like in the last century. And that's why uh, I bought this artwork at that time, as one of the reasons. Another artwork that I like very much is from Ming Wong, a Singapore artist, like of imitation. This artwork has won an award in Venice Biennale, I think six years ago. Uh, it's a two-channel video seen in Mirror. This is my collection exhibited in Hong Kong. So this is a direct projection by a projector, and this is a mirror, and this mirror see the projection on the opposite side. So practically you have four uh, projection, but two movies. And the movie are synchronized. They look exactly the same, but it is recorded twice with people keep on changing from one screen to the next. And all the ladies are men. This is about identity, about Singapore culture, Ming Wong lived in Berlin. People start asking him about Singapore culture, and he realized that Singapore is a very young nation, and the culture is Chinese, Malay, and India. So that's why all these three races in this movie, and the girls and the, uh, and the actors keep on changing from one screen to the next. And it's also the story about a, a white daughter denies her identity because the mother is black. The mother came to visit her and then she said, Mom, you go away, go away because my friends, my white friends are coming. And then as the girlfriend came into the room, see the black mother and say, you must be the mate. You know, so also about discrimination, which is also a very strong spirit in contemporary art. I saw this artwork instantly. I contact the gallery because he, Ming Wong has got the uh, special mansion in Venice Biennale the gallery chasing me and said, this is the fifth edition out of five. You have to, <laughs> you have to decide now. <laughs> that was what a bad feeling for a collector. Yeah? Uh, you, you have to decide now or you are too late. I mean, too late for the entire life, right? <laughs> and then <laughs> it was so expensive, but okay. And you, ha you have to, and it's addiction. Yeah? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, I collect from Jump, uh, Jimbo, from Jim Alam Abel, a set of photography from the uniform series where he takes photography of a man wearing uniform. And if you see this uniform, a batik, an Indonesian will instantly recognize that he is a state employee because state employee in Indonesia has to wear this batik. And we know that he gets very little salary every month. He cannot afford to buy steak. Instead, he eats everyday salad or, or vegetables. Yeah? And, this <laughs> and this is an Indonesian police that uh, we see from the uh, uniform. And the roses are the metaphor. Police have to protect the people in that country. But instead, roses has also torn because they always blackmail us and want to have, to have bribe money from us. And this is also the security people in our neighborhood, the very famous color of this uniform, and he always eat Indo food, so the Indonesian noodle, <clears throat> the very cheap Indonesian noodle, and because of the salary he gets. Yeah, and this is the, the, the view from my table. 
Uh, this is Eko Nugroho. She knows uh, him very well. And this is a video art that I want to show. I put this video art uh, near to the window because if you put a painting, it will fade out. Right? If you put a video art, it, it won't. That's why <laughs> this is one of the advantages of being a video art collector. <laughs> yeah. And this is a very young artist from Indonesia, Natasha Abigail Kutin. So this uh, artist take a photography from an archive in Netherlands. A Dutch came to Indonesia in about 1860s and 1870s and took a picture of the sugar plantation workers. Uh, so Dutch was very successful in exporting sugar to supply the whole Europe, uh, tabac, uh, tobacco, and all the spices, pepper, and um, nutmegs and everything. So this sugar plantation worker were treated like an object. They have to stand still, wearing new clothes and new batik. And nobody, none of them knew what going to happen because none of them has seen a camera before. So as we know, the camera was invented in mid-19th century in France. It seems like somebody came instantly with a camera and took picture of these guys. And Natasha thought, wow, they are treated like an object in the colonial era. Now, in our post-colonial Indonesian, I want to give them another chance to be actively participating in the video art. That's why she produced this moving mouth from all his, her friends and produced the music. She composed the music. She is Javanese and she sings the music. And in this, in this artwork, she was asking also why this small boy with the groom is in the picture, immortalized. He doesn't fit to the setting, right? So she, she gave him the role as a leader to sing in this uh, video art. So I was so fascinated, the juxtaposition between colonial and post-colonial time and giving a chance to the occupied, uh, colonialized people at that time to be actively participating in a new artworks. <clears throat> yeah, and coming back to Zeitgeist, and I think in hundred years people will look look back and say, at that time everybody sit in this room in Siaman Contemporary Art Foundation, art talk room with a communication device, digitalized. We can't live without them anymore. So whatever we do is related to the computer. And I think people will look back and say, yes, that was a time that everybody was so dependent on computer. And this is the reason why I collect these artworks. This is an uh, artist group, artist duo, Granular Synthesis, uh, Kurt Hansleger on Ulf Hangenreich, also from Austria and Germany. The artwork is called Model 5 from 1994. And this artist duo represented Austrian in Venice Biennale for Austrian pavilion. This is the artworks. 
I have to speed up without, because we don't have the time. It has to be projected three meter times fifteen. Actually, the real size. Why I collect this artwork? 1994, the digital video camera. Actually, it's not a video tape anymore. Actually, the the right name is video moving image camera. Was just introduced into the market. Shortly after that, this artist duo produced one of the first digital moving image art. And uh, they asked this model. To do a very simple movement and speak normal language, it was recorded digitally, and then the file, the digital file, was cut into very short segments called grain, about one millisecond to one hundred millisecond, and then repeated twenty times, fifteen times, and then built the continuum that we have seen. And suddenly, people were made aware. At that time, everything was still very new. At that time, 1994, people were made aware that a digital file, if you cut it right, process it nicely, you can create emotion that you have heard before. You feel it painful, or violence in the video, or you know, and, and fearful. All that uh, emotion that you uh, have feel. At the moment you you look at this video art, was created purposely by processing a digital file nicely. <clears throat> And this Japanese dancer, she'll still live in Austria, <clears throat> was asked purposely because 1994 the globalization has just taken place. 1989 it started, And 1994 we suddenly find a lot of strangers. <clears throat> Japanese, <laughs> also in our neighborhood, and they speak not understandable language, right? And that is why the the voice is also cut. And if you, <clears throat> this is actually, uh, uh, sorry. Actually, a very, uh, actually a very normal. Sentences that uh, the the model has to speak, but then after it was processed, the human language turned into machine-like movement and turned into machine voices. <clears throat> that was granular synthesis in my collection, and another one related to the computer to digitalization is Ryoji Ikeda. 
a Japanese artist who has lived a long time in Paris. I think uh, he almost doesn't have a private collector. If I see the list, only museums collect his artworks. And uh, this one, the white color on the wall that you see is actually numbers, digital, num digital numbers produced in the computer, and the numbers moving very fast that we can see here. <clears throat> this is my own uh, recording. Before I come here, looks horrible, but okay. So <laughs> uh, this is a projection of six times eight meter that I have shown in the Art State Jakarta uh, beginning of August. There was a collector show. The context is about uh, our old uh, communication device that we have in this room, and millions of data is sent out of this building to connect you with the whole world. And all these data are very silent. We never heard of it, but they exist. And they're traveled in the speed of light. If you send a text to New York, they will get, receive it within less than a second. And Ryoji felt like, oh, I want to visualize what happens in, in this room at this moment and do it with all the numbers. It's fascinating. You have to see it in real. If you stand in front of the screen and you see the numbers with all the dots and moving very fast and suddenly ting and then it stops. Crazy. And you feel like, oh, so many data around you. Yeah, you feel, you get a feeling of space that the room is completely different if the data is frozen. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's also something related to our data. An Indonesian artist, Agan Harahap, produced photography of Sukarno. Uh, we know from his, everybody who reads about Sukarno knows that he likes a lot of uh, pretty women. <laughs> he met uh, Jack Clint Kennedy, uh, Liz Taylor, and Marilyn Monroe. So he was in the United States and met them. And, but he never met all of them at the same time. This is a photo montage using Photoshop. So good, but the art is not the photo montage. So this artist, at the moment, the best contemporary photographer from Indonesia, according to a lot of art, uh, photography experts in the world, <coughs> uh, he produced this artwork and posted in the social media and got a lot of comments. Even, even a historian in the talk about Indonesian history, in Indonesian television, take this as a reference. Yeah. And the family of Sukarno contact him and say, we don't have this photo yet in our archive. Can we have it? Can you please tell me where you get it? And which date and which event in the United States? So this artist produced a reality in this digitalized world that is our near future that we Google in the internet and then we can see the difference between a fake hoax information or the real one. That will be a challenge very soon. It started already now, right? That we get something and we, are start, we start thinking, is it true? Yeah, and this is what he do at the moment. So a lot of other artwork was posted in the internet, uh, like superstar coming to Indonesia, uh, 
a series of superstar Paris Hilton and so on in Indonesia and came to his home, you know, a rock band and a lot of people start posting in the social media. Oh, you're so lucky. He was in your home, you know, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and it's crazy. Just produce a reality. <clears throat> and uh, another artist produced scanograph. This is a bleeding brain from an accident. Uh, put on a scanner of a computer scanner and then he scanned this brain with the blood still uh, flowing on the glass of the scanner and then printed on the transparency and backlit it with uh, LED light. And the, this effect is so fascinating that you cannot get it with the normal uh, photography. And he makes, uh, his tool is the scanner. He scanned everything of everyday object and uh, fantastic artworks. The new terminal in Jakarta uh, has got a huge artwork of him with uh, canopies. Uh, <laughs> because he was in prison, uh, he was having his, <laughs> his uh, drug and the police came and then put him into the prison. And then he scanned all the uh, drugs, uh, the wheat, and make it to an artwork, and it's a huge size in the Indonesian uh, Terminal 3, the new terminal. Yeah, and I also collect bio art. This is a computer display uh, of 265 dots filled with liquid, transparent liquid, and bacteria inside, living bacteria. And this bacteria uh, it's a very special, the so-called magnetic bacteria. This bacteria will rotate if you put magnet field. So if you switch off the magnet field, the bacteria will stand still. So then if the bacteria rotate, the light will be scattered, and then you get a dark color. If the magnet field is switched off, then you get a blue color. A uh, camera is mounted in the front, in the moment you stand in front of this artwork, the camera capture your face, and you will see the face in this artwork. You see me with the glass and the hair, and it's synchronized. So if you move, your face will move. So it's like a mirror, but built by bacteria. <clears throat> Using computer, yeah? So the image taken by the camera is then processed into 265 dots, and then transferred into the display by using living bacteria. Uh, this has got an international award, 2013. Uh, this is the concept, so the face, and then put into, uh, also into the computer and make into, what is it, a pixel, and the pixel, the dark one is then magnet on. The white one is magnet off. So you, you create an image in the, in the water. Another uh, bio art in my collection is a living flower. This is a petunia, a boring living flower uh, from Eduardo Cut. And he makes his DNA into this uh, flower. That's why he got a blood vein, the flower, from the artist. And this is growing in my office. Uh, at the moment, it's died, but I get a lot of seeds to grow again. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, and this is also, uh, yeah, uh, 
bio art in Australia. You have a very advanced bio artist. Uh, maybe you have heard Stella. He produced the third ear in his arm. It's a real ear growing. And another group is uh, Symbiotica, uh, two professors in the university producing bio art. Uh, yeah. And Patricia Pacidini is uh, yeah, nearly to bio art, is, but not a living. And this artist produced, I was fascinated by this rabbit. So he uh, take the green fluorescence protein from jellyfish and mix it into the rabbit. And the, the rabbit glows in the dark. So that was the first artwork I saw from him in Mori Museum. And I was thinking, oh, I want to have it. But at the time I have to decide, I was thinking like, I, I, I better uh, have my flowers in my office <laughs> instead of rabbits. That's why I decide for the flowers. But I was so fascinated for the, by the rabbits. Yeah? I mean, <laughs> yeah. And the challenge in bio art is actually first the technological issue. The, art, the artist cannot do it himself because it has to do with DNA. It has to do with... Uh, biology, and so on. The second one is ethical. You feel like it's not ethical, right, to make a rabbit glowing in the dark, yeah, and so on. And then, yeah, and then the, the third one is logistical because you have to spray the flowers every day, you know, the bacteria has to, to be cooled down, and so on, and a lot of issues that you don't have if you collect paintings or sculpture. Yeah, and also my problem in my office, if you would come to me and say, Will you, I'm coming at 10 o'clock. You know what? 8 o'clock, I have to be in the office to switch on all the equipment. So if you have a collection of paintings, you just switch on the light, bang, and then you can come. Yeah? You, you come five minutes earlier than your guest. But it doesn't work in my office. So I have to switch on every piece. And, yeah. and sometimes it doesn't work. Right? You have to reboot the system and blah, blah, blah. And oh, so crazy. <laughs> but it's okay. It's, it's still fun. And I collect light art. In my office, this line is made of light, and the room is full with uh, fog. And then you get a kind of curtain in the room. And if you touch the curtain, the curtain will, fl will go away. It's like a real curtain. And with the sound of the, of the wind produced by the computer. It is uh, by Ernesto Clark. Uh, she lives in New York. is a lecturer in Parson College. And... Uh, this artwork has won two international art awards and was nom uh, nominated in uh, Ars Electronica in Linz in Austria, but he didn't win. But uh, two winning, uh, two times winner in different uh, art awards. And if you talk about light art, people only know James Turrell, right? So, but there are so many other artists in this world producing light art, and they don't have the luck to be represented by Gagosian and White Cube, just like the uh, granular synthesis. Very strong artwork. If you read art theory books about new media art, granular synthesis is definitely in the book. But no collector collects their artwork because no gallery wants to sell because they separate after a couple of years of working together. I think they produce only eight or nine artworks and then stop. So if a commercial gallery have to sell, promote the artist, they will think like there is not, nothing to sell anymore after a while, right? So that's why uh, a lot of very good artworks in this, in this world uh, are not sold in commercial gallery and also not seen in uh, art fairs. So you have to really work on it, deep, very, uh, do a deep research and to find uh, 
certain artworks that you like, and that's very strong. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is the piece that I have uh, shown you before. This is Tintin Bulia, uh, Tromarama from Indonesia. It's digitalized, moving image produced by photography. So this artwork take photography one by one and move, move the cup and saucers. Can you imagine? <laughs> the context is about living in an urban city. These three artists, this is an artist group of three guys, they go out on weekend to the street and to the park and to the beach and after a while on Sunday night they come home. So this is the metaphor for people who live in the, yeah, and go to the beach. <laughs> so many people have to work so hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. A nice, a nice story about this artwork was, I was the first collector also from this group, so they are very famous now. But at that time, I saw this artwork and, and I met one of them and asked him, uh, oh, I would like to collect. How much is it? He said, I don't have price yet. <laughs> and I said, uh, you have to tell me because I, I want to collect, I like it. Talk to your friends. And then he came back after a while and said, uh, four million rupiah which is 300 US dollar, 300. <laughs> For all that works, I was so shocked. What, you work months to produce that artwork? I don't know how many shot, yeah? And then I said, 300, okay. Uh, how many addition? He said, addition? We don't fix it yet. Yeah, but you have to fix it. I mean, I don't want you to produce 100 addition, right? And then they, he went away, come back and say eight. And I said, okay, eight times 300. I pay you 2,400 and you make one copy. And he said, no, we also want to sell. I said, there isn't any other video art collectors in Indonesia. Yeah, you, you call John Pat. John Pat has been working 10, 15 years until I bought it. And do you want to wait another 10 years? I said, to find a collector, I'm willing to collect all your eight. I buy all your eight, but you produce only one. And then after that, yeah, they sell it to me. And... Yeah, I was so lucky. And I found out later on from a professor in video art that he said, but you are fighting against the intrinsic quality of the video art. I learned so much from all the experts coming to my office. And then he said, if an artist choose a camera, 
digital camera or video as a tool and produce a video art, he is very aware of the of the intrinsic characteristic of the tool that the file can be reproduced eight times or ten times. And the reproduction has the same quality, exactly the same quality like the, the first shot. And you cannot tell him you only produce one. If you want to have a unique piece, you better collect painting. I was so shocked and I said, yes, we, you, you make a mistake. You have to accept that some artworks uh, has their natural characteristic being produced in additions. Right? So this is what I, I learned along the way. And I never asked a video artist to produce a, a, a unique copy for me anymore. <laughs> okay. So this is uh, about Tromarama. And now I'm going to the Indonesian art scene. So in Indonesia, I am a very small collector. Uh, I call myself a fisherman boat alongside ocean liners. This is the visualization of my position. And there are a lot of ocean liners in Indonesia. Uh, John uh, McDonald has visited three more other collectors than my collection. <laughs> yeah, you have seen the palaces and their collection. They are really grow very, really big. And uh, all of them, uh, they collect paintings. And uh, most of them that you have visited, they make money in art. Uh, they are one or three of the most successful businessmen in Indonesia and the so-called ultra-high net worth individuals. But they see this curve. This is the GDP development of Indonesia from 100 billion every year in, from 2018 and 98 to today, nine times. And they believe that the Indonesian economy will be stronger and stronger. And I know a lot of bankers who say exactly the same. 250 million people is almost as big as United States. And if Indonesia start booming, that will be a very strong economy like the second United States in the world. So, and if Indonesia join force with all the Southeast Asian countries, then we will be, I mean, in the number of population more than United States. This is uh, why I think uh, Jean also told you about a lot of people coming now to Indonesia to know about Indonesian art because uh, the, Indo the art market also relate to the GDP development everywhere in the world, in the, in the history of art market. And this is what they also see. That's why they also do selling and buying, which actually I don't like. So this is the reason. Uh, this is a, uh, only maybe 20% of the galleries we have in Indonesia. Most of them sell paintings. You won't find other artworks in their galleries because the market only paintings. Only that maybe one or two lines on the top, they are selling sometimes others not medium-specific artworks. And you go everywhere and you see only painting and sculpture. And what I did is I uh, organized the so-called Art Lovers Dinner that I hardly find in other countries. I meet a lot of collectors coming from different countries. So we sit down together regularly and talk about art. Uh, we don't want to talk about price and uh, about investment at all. 
So we focus always to, uh, in talking about art theory and what is contemporary art and why contemporary art was born, for, especially for beginners. Because this subject is not written anywhere in Indonesia. Nobody can read. So we start telling them about the spirit of contemporary art and, and so on. And uh, this is uh, some of the pictures that we did. Uh, also, if uh, museum directors came to Indonesia, we invite him to do presentation. Or collectors from Sydney, if you want to come to Indonesia, just tell me and then I will invite all the people to come and you do presentation of your uh, collection. And we also talk about what I have bought lately, or we also talk about what I'm going to buy next week, maybe. This is very not normal, because in Singapore, they are very secretive, and they feel like other collectors are competitors, right? And they feel like, I have to, have to build a better collection than other collectors. So in Indonesia, we don't have that spirit. I mean, among the young collectors. Also, the, the big tycoon, uh, they don't join our uh, the group, I mean, uh, of course. So we are the small boats. But uh, all the young collectors sit together and, you know, <clears throat> and talk about art. And we have uh, three art fairs in Indonesia. This is the biggest in Jogja, the Art Jog. A very unique concept where in the art fair, not the galleries have the booth to sell artworks, but the artists directly. So the artist was chosen by the organizer, and they, they put the artwork in the art fair and sell directly to the uh, buyers in the art fair. Uh, so through the organizer, of course. You don't buy directly by the artist, but the organizer uh, get the money. So the client of these art fairs are not the uh, galleries. And then there is the Bazaar Art Fair, which is now, I think, in the ninth year. And this year, for the first time, the Art States Jakarta. Art States uh, has been doing uh, art fair in Singapore, I think six years now, every year. And he started at the beginning of August in the same month like Bazaar. And everybody talked about who's going to survive. Will he be the winner or will Bazaar Art will be the winner? He took place first. So you came to Indonesia, John, and... Uh, I see a lot of uh, familiar faces in the art stage. The, the art fair was very, very successful. The criteria for successful art fair is not the number of visitors that we know. The success of the art fair is whether the gallery is selling and they sold a lot of artworks. Everybody was happy and waiting for the collapse of the next. And what happens was, at the end of the month, the art fair opened and there was even more people came so successful and other crowd very young first time buyers were in the art fair people from the creative industry graphic designer product design they came to the fair and, and they buy artworks I mean Bazaar Art has a, has a mood like a bazaar there are a lot of small booths selling uh, merchandise skate, uh, sneakers skateboard by artists yeah, and it, it is like a bazaar Night Bazaar, but they buy. And they buy also artworks. And uh, Ota Gallery from uh, Tokyo sold two Yayokusama pumpkins for 700,000 each and a Yayokusama painting for one million. So they were so happy. Yeah, and, and suddenly people realized wow, Indonesian art market so strong. <laughs> Even we can 
survive two art fairs within one month. I mean, for collectors, we wish to have one art fair every month, right? So we don't we don't need to <laughs> a lot of because I'm sitting in the board of Art City Jakarta, and they think like, oh, VU one is the enemy of Bazaar, and I say no, I also support uh, VIP visitors from Bazaar also come to my office. Yeah, for an art collector, we bo- we we want both of them to survive, or t- all of them. And luckily, in the last five years, there is a very interesting Bandung Contemporary Art Awards. Initiated by a foundation, Associate Foundation in Bandung. Uh, the owner has also a, a commercial gallery to finance the uh, foundation. And I'm sitting in the board of jury. And we purposely choose uh, emerging artists with a good prospect in the future. Where other art awards in Indonesia still focus on paintings and sculpture, like this one. UOB is a very big bank in, from Singapore. The art award is called Painting of the Year. So they accept only submissions, paintings. So I, I talk every time with the manager and say, why you limit the artists doing paintings? I mean, you know the history of modernist uh, art. Uh, the boundary doesn't exist anymore. Why, why you create artificially a boundary? Uh, for the artists. Mandiri is the largest bank in Indonesia, also produce a painting exhibition or award. And this is the newest, just started the first year, red base, uh, also paintings mostly and sculpture. And this is the largest uh, from government support and the secret company, Gudang Garam, uh, also mostly medium-specific artworks. <clears throat> so this is the only one which is... Uh, I think truly contemporary art. And we, now we come to the artists. As we know, Indonesia has a lot of islands. It's a huge uh, archipelago. But the activities is only centralized here, in the island of Java. And there are two art cities in Indonesia. One is the famous Jogja. And the other one is the newer, uh, less renowned Bandung. So in Bandung, Sorry. In, ba- uh, in Bandung, there is an Institute of Technology Bandung, the ITB, and in Jogja is the EC, also Institute Seni Indonesia Yogyakarta. So the difference is between these two, ITB was set up by the Dutch in 1920 for civil engineer. Our first president has studied in ITB and became an engineer. So all the professor in the university was Dutch. And they teach like in the Netherlands, very Western, including the fine art department. They teach the student like in the Western world, very systematic and, and so on and everything. In EC, EC was set up by the Indonesian president, uh, Sukarno, who is the greatest in, uh, collector in Indonesia until today. His collection is amazing. And he, after he got his independence for Indonesia, he set up this school and asked his artist friends to be a professor in the university. And these artists teach intuitively how to produce artworks until today. 
So if you go to Jogja, you will see very spontaneous art produced by artists, amazing, sometimes shocking, and art theorists, professors from Western world, they come to Jogja, they were blown away because they cannot read and they, they don't understand where the idea comes from because it is not systematically explored. And in Bandung, they are very systematical in the way they explore and produce and create the contemporary art. And I have to say from 600 artworks that I recently got, uh, most of the good artworks come from Bandung. And a lot of art experts have realized. So Dr. Melissa Chiu uh, wrote in Art Asia Pacific about Bandung that he said, you guys, if you come to Indonesia, don't forget to go to Bandung because everybody always talk about Jogja. Yeah, and the fascinating also in Jogja, this is my last picture, is the artists in Jogja live in a very strong community. They help each other very well, like no other. In New York, in China, you cannot find it. If an artist sells a painting for, let's say, $2,000, which is uh, $26 million, he can live maybe 10 years with the money. Yeah? Because the living standard in Jogja is very low. And what he does is, and every artist does in Jogja, they eat together every night and share the food and joy with all other artists. Uh, you can witness it, maybe. Uh, you come from Jogja. So this uh, community, living hand in hand, is so strong in Jogja. This is so amazing for a lot of scholars who live in Jogja, and they say, oh, you, this is so fantastic. Yeah, you can't imagine. They all survive because all the friends help them with food and with, with uh, canvas, with oil paint, uh, color, and whatever they need. They get it from the most successful one. Uh, this is an uh, Indonesian art scene, and uh, they even bring their friends to take part in an exhibition. If you invite one of the artists, and then they will say, uh, can I have also somebody uh, in the show? If no, then they say, I don't lose anything. I'm, an, I'm included anyway. <laughs> if you can bring others, and then yeah, you help also the community to survive. So this is uh, what... Uh, I want to uh, show you today about my collection and the Indonesian art scene. It's just a glimpse of what happened in Indonesia. Uh, hopefully you enjoy it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll take the... God, we, we haven't had anything as well presented as that for an awfully long time. What a wonderful talk, the whole social history. And I have to say, being in Indonesia, you eat with the artists, uh, eating with Echo one night, Echo Nugruho. They're the embroiderers that work with him, also eating there. Not even other artists, but the artisans who help. It's a, an incredibly generous uh, sort of environment, really, the Competition seems to be missing. Now, I know that you've all got homes to go to and, and so on, but they, we have got 15 minutes of question time. Those who need to go, please feel free. And those who want to stay, we'll see if there are a couple of publicly uh, expressed questions. And otherwise, uh, uh, Dr. Wiyu is here, and he, you, you, he'll stay, and you can ask uh, 
you know, one-on-one questions if you've got something burning. So is there any, anybody who wants to ask? Uh, 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 there, there's a... Yeah, Johnny, speak into this because otherwise it won't, it won't register. I just wanted to know, um, is there any pressure, um, political or religious, on artists in Indonesia? In other words, um, is there any threat of censorship... Uh, now or in the future, and what is there anything that can be done about that? After uh, 98, the so-called Reformasi, after Sukarno, uh, Suharto, sorry, the Suharto regime fell down, there is no censorship anymore in Indonesia. Mm. Completely free. So mm. we are very happy, at the same time also not happy, <laughs> because in the former time, if you see uh, Peridono artworks, he managed to do critiques to the dictatorship of Suharto mm. using his wayang puppet, yes. shadow puppet. And that was actually very delicate for collectors to see it and to realize actually he is criticizing the government, but he was not in prison. Mm. Right? And now it is free. The challenge isn't there anymore. <laughs> you know, to... <laughs> to hide some messages inside the artworks. But actually it is good. If I uh, compare to Singapore, Singapore support the art world with tremendous amount of money. Mm. Yeah, and, but the government always limits the artists, right? Mm. No naked, also no nudes in the art, no politics, mm. and no this no and that no. Mm. And I, feel, I think like you can't do that. Yeah. So we are very happy about it. Yeah. Mm, it's an important question. Anybody else? Oh, here we are. Uh, we, I was fortunate to visit your office in uh, Jakarta a couple of weeks ago as yeah. part of the uh, Bazaar Art Program. Yeah. And uh, I had the feeling as you walked us through the works and talked, spoke to individual works that that office was like a laboratory of art and art collecting. And then I thought, I know you're trained as a scientist, so I wonder to what extent do you think your scientific background and interests are brought to bear on your collecting? Uh, first, I think my background being a TCK, the so-called third culture kit, uh, is one of the reasons why I collect the artworks that you have seen in my collection. The TCK is like my, uh, my, my parents come from China, so they were born in China, but I was born in Indonesia, so that is the second culture. And I, with my friends in the school, built the third culture. So this is the so-called third culture kit. The number of third culture kit is exponentially rising in the world because of the globalization. But in the former time, it wasn't the case. So, and I grew up, I stayed 20 years in Germany. And uh, the question is, if somebody come to me and say, uh, what country man are you? So difficult to answer because uh, uh, Asia, uh, so Chinese community were discriminated uh, uh, in Indonesia in the former time. So I don't feel like Chinese. Uh, I speak Chinese broken, very bad. Don't don't speak with me. So very bad, and uh, because uh, the government, I mean, we feel the pressure of the racism in Indonesia. I don't identify myself as Indonesian. Yeah, and also not. I mean, I have a German passport, but I don't look like German. That's why it's very difficult about identity. Is it, are you talking about passport? Then I'm German. Yeah. And, and so on. So these questions shape, I think, my 
collection, asking about identity, asking about mixture of culture and so on. This is first. And the way the German teach me in the university uh, to learn something very systematically and uh, learn something from very fundamental has helped my collection because in the moment people talk about contemporary art and I was thinking, what is contemporary? And I start to learn from uh, galleries, hopeless. I mean, Indonesian galleries, they are all traders. So uh, they, don't, they don't even read books. This is, this is the case. So, and I, I, I should, <laughs> it's recorded, yeah. I mean, I don't want to talk about, <laughs> I don't want to talk about them, but I, I couldn't learn from them. So it ends up that I'm, I start reading books myself and I found the first art theory books and, and I was addicted to that. And uh, by doing it systematically, and I realized, oh, you have to change the course in the way you collect. And I share the knowledge with the younger collectors. And so this is the result of my systematical approach in uh, collecting art. Yeah. One more. I have to say that seeing all that technology, there's no way I could have collected any of that work. So I think your engineering background definitely, from my perspective, comes through. One last question, guys, and then you can do a question informally. Anybody else? Here we are. Thank you. That was a wonderful talk. Um, I just was interested in the way that you were introduced as an intellectual collector, um, which was, I, I guess you were explaining that that was someone who was also wanting to document a time or a scene, as well as just choosing art that interests you. So w where do you find your searching methods and choices being shaped more, like um, by wanting to actually document a certain time and scene, but still choose, you know, very strong art? Or um, where, does one, where does the aesthetic appeal lose out to just wanting to, you know, the anthropological interest of, of yeah. capturing something? So first of all, I uh, like to read books from great collectors. There are a lot of books about international great collectors, and I think, like, uh, they become so great because they have learned before, so you read their books, and then you can learn. A lot of them talk about zeitgeist. Not the word zeitgeist, but the same sense, like you talk in your interview, nice interview in Hong Kong, and, uh, and, yeah, and then I realized, oh, you have to concentrate of what is actually the spirit of this time to be a great collector, because I don't have the financial power to collect thousand and has ten good ones, so I have to be very critical in spending my money. I have a very small business, and to, not to pay too much for yeah, the wrong artworks. So this is the first point. The second one is as a focus on uh, uh, zeitgeist on spirit of the time. The second one is I have learned along the way that in 20th century art was used to depict beauty. Yeah, uh, the so-called uh, so a good artwork has to have the so-called significant form. Significant form is a combination of line, color, texture, and line combination of colors that touch your aesthetic emotion. If you see an artwork of 20th century, you feel, oh, so nice. And this touch your aesthetic emotion is purposely made the so-called significant form. Uh, in contemporary time, art has another function. So uh, the visual effect isn't the core of what you have to see. So after learning it in the art theory, and I realized, oh, you have to change your course. Don't buy that beautiful, beautiful one anymore, don't uh, 
Look for artwork that touch your aesthetic emotion instead. The context. The context is I learned from uh, maybe you know the uh, Red Square exhibition from Arthur Danto. He made an exhibition where all the artists has an artwork in form of a red square. The same color, the same size. And then the first artist was asked, what is it? And he said, I come from Moscow. It is a red square in Moscow. There is a Kremlin. Everything happened in the East Block is dictated by Kremlin. This is my red square. And the other one is Israeli. He said, red square for me is the metaphor of the Red Sea. The Israeli crossed the Red Sea. You know, the Bible issue. And the third one is a French. He said, this is homage to Henri Matisse, the Red Room. Right? And, and so on and so on. So uh, all the artworks, visually exactly the same, but different contexts and different artworks. After reading this book, it was an imaginary exhibition, I was so shocked and was thinking like, oh, this is it. So you focus on the context. And what is the context? Globalization is one of them. Yeah, maybe uh, consumerism. Uh, maybe what others that you feel like it will be seen as that guys. Uh, because I don't have that much money to collect also other top content, I have to focus on yeah, the one that I have shown you. Okay. Okay. Thank you.